Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of What in the World. My name is Jake Lee and I'm your host of this podcast. And today I'm super excited because I get to uh, let you guys listen to an interview where I got to talk to Marcy. And Marcy is actually one of our supposed to have been International Center guests in 2020. But something happened in the spring of 2020 that prevented us from hosting the International Center like we had uh, many years prior since 2004. And so Marcy was unable to join us. And fortunately, we get to talk to her today. And we get to hear about what she does currently, the nonprofit she runs, and also just a little bit of her story and how she developed this passion that God has placed on her heart. And so I'm just really excited to dive into it. So without further ado, let's dive into Marcy's story and hear about a little cultural blunder that she made. I work within an informal settlement within Nairobi and... It's a very different culture from your typical Nairobi culture. So one day I go to visit the home of one of the girls and I think mostly it was a culture shock and in the sense that um, they lived in this one roomed house Mm -hmm. with nothing. And they inviting me to sit on the bed. Yeah, really, there was nothing in the house apart from a small bed. And I'm coming from a... First, I know beds are very, like, very personal. Yeah. But also, um, for her, that's her only form of hospitality. Mm. And so trying to, to not want to sit on the bed which for me I felt it was awkward but for her this is like the greatest way to be invited into her home Mm. and so it was very very awkward uh, to the point that okay she kept insisting that I sit on the bed and I I, I was standing and I, I felt like she was offended because I'm inviting you to my home why aren't you accepting the invitation? Yeah, so it was very awkward, but finally I sat down and later on, yeah, I was just rebuked that, you know what, this is the only thing she could offer. There was no chair, there was nothing yeah. else. And so as much as for me, I felt it was violating maybe her personal space. For her, this was like the greatest form of hospitality. Yeah, and so... As I go on, I have learned to embrace that our cultures are very different. Our social standings are very different. Mm -hmm. And what might be offensive to me might be great hospitality for someone else. Yeah. I really like that example because you, um, coming from just your own cultural, your own upbringing, your experience, that, which I would agree with, I would be similar where it's like the bed is a more personal space. It's a more like, this is where I sleep. This is important to me. Mm. I'm not just going to invite anyone to sit on my bed. Mm. And so when you were invited into this home, you didn't want to sit on her bed because you felt like that was violating something for her mm. and wanting to respect her. But this idea of like, she wanted to invite you in and you unknowingly at that moment were denying her the ability to 
provide hospitality, to give you something, to give her the dignity to offer something to you. Mm -hmm. And you recognize that and it changed how you operate moving forward. But I think that's a really, it's a very profound example because it's so simple. Yes. It's just a bed, but it's her way of offering something to you. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, especially the African culture, it's as basic as someone offering you water. And when working within the informal settlements, um, the situations can be extreme in the sense that just outside someone's house can be broken siwa, someone offering you drinking water, and you're not sure, do I drink this water? Do I not drink this oh, water? Oh, is it safe? Is it safe? Mm. But God in his mercy has always protected us. Like just receiving that cup of water from uh, the community we visit mm. and serve, for them, it's such a joy that they're able to serve us. Yeah. But God, again, has always protected us. We've never had cases of cholera, diarrhea, dysentery, typhoid. And so I think sometimes God just honors the, the, the places where we are yeah. and what would have been considered a foolish decision he protects us. I like that. Marcy, you are the founder and director of Unbani Trust. Ubani. Ubani. Mm -hmm. Ubani Trust. And your whole purpose for this organization is fighting against child sexual exploitation in Kenya. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today and just kind of um, what you do. But before I jump into that, um, I wanted to talk about your Elmbrook connection. And the first part is you were actually part of our group of people in 2020 that were going to come as our International Center guests. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this in this podcast before. Um, the International Center was started in 2004. Where we've had many cohorts of these amazing international leaders come to us and teach us and we get to learn from them. Um, obviously, some stuff happened in 2020, and so you were not able to come, mm -hmm. but... I now get the opportunity to talk to you a little, even though we Yay. didn't exactly <laughs> weren't able to have you before. So could you explain a little bit about your Elmbrook connection first? How are you connected to Elmbrook? Uh, in Nairobi, we were part of Nairobi Chapel. And I think there's been a long relationship between mm -hmm. Elmbrook and Nairobi Chapel. And in I have gotten to meet Jill and Stuart. I have gotten to meet... Terry and Lee, I have gotten to meet Jan Ryder and team, Jan Keddy. And so I think in my earlier years of getting into ministry, by the grace of God, he brought all these beautiful people who have shaped and grew and mentored me in ministry. Yeah. Yes. Uh Terry and Lee, especially Lee. Lee has been a great mentor in my journey as a leader. I know there are many times we've had conversations, oh, Pastor Lee, there are many times we've had conversations of my struggle as a leader and he always has a book for me to read. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's really been different people who have come into my life mm. and that have been able to speak into my life, that have been able to mentor me and just be a voice of reason, but also yeah. just an encouragement from the Lord. My introduction to Elmbrook here was 2011. The first time I came here was 2011. 
Yes, and got to interact with many people. I think Gloria Halverson or something. Yeah, there are yeah. many people. Jan Widow, I could mention many people, but El- Elmbrook has a special place mm-hmm. in my heart. I usually say it's Elmbrook and Milwaukee or Greater Milwaukee is home away from home for me. Well, we are very excited that you're able to be um, with us today um, in your home away from home. Oh, thank you. That's really exciting. Thank you. So you were part of Nairobi Chapel in Kenya, and obviously you you still live there. You work there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're joining us today in Milwaukee, which is really fun to have you here. Um, so tell me about your journey to get to the point of founding and leading the organization you're currently leading. How did that develop? So we have um, an internship program, which is a year-long program for anyone who senses a call into church work or ministry. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're not sure where that specific place of service is, or is it just a short-time stint, or is the Lord really calling you into full-time ministry? In twenty, in 2009, I signed up to, to the internship program, and was allocated uh, a ministry or was sent to a ministry that reached out to women in prostitution. Of course, there's this young girl who just wants to serve God, is not so clear where she wants to be in. But I am so glad that the Lord chose to, to send me to that ministry. And my experiences were just... One of the greatest lessons that I learned is behind every face, there's a story. A lot of times when we interact with people, it's so easy to judge them based on what we see. But we never get time to understand why is that person behaving the way they do. And this lesson for me was as a result of when I used to be in the University of Nairobi, there was the famous red light district called Koinange Street. Mm-hmm. And every time you'd pass outside Koinange Street at night, the young women who are on the streets who were practicing prostitution would be so violent and aggressive towards us. Really? Yes. And we just thought, oh, you bitter women, you yeah. know. And sometimes we'd be like, you know, they have so much, you know, they could be more than just, tan- you know, like more than prostitutes, if I would say that. Sure. But when I got into ministry and I got to listen to their stories, I was like, that could have been me. Mm. Were it not for the grace of God, I would have ended up on the streets just like any of them. Wow. Because they're just stories of dysfunctional families, like many of us come from dysfunctional families. Mm -hmm. There could be stories of poverty and injustice, uh, stories of a girl whose parents died and the relatives took away all their property and they were sent away from home. And the only way to survive was through prostitution. Mm-hmm. That could have happened to me. It's a story of a girl being promised work in the city and she comes to work and realize there's no work, it's exploitation. And so their stories were not different from my story and from the stories of my friends, but it was just God's grace. And so for me, I have learned to take time to listen to people. And and it's as basic as just asking their names. Because again, with the women on the streets, 
they are considered as commodity. No one cares who they are. No one cares about their children. No one cares about their struggles. And so for me, I have become intentional in listening to them and listening to their stories. Okay, so that, that's how I got into working with women coming out of prostitution. And then as I continued working with older women from the streets, uh, the Lord brought to my attention um, stories of girls who had gotten into prostitution when they were younger, like from the ages yeah. of 12. And so the challenge for me was, why am I waiting downstream to rescue girls instead of going upstream and preventing them from getting into the river? Mm. I know there's an analogy of someone throwing or people being thrown into the river sure. and only being rescued at the end. And so for me, how can I go upstream to prevent them? And so when Ubani began, it was mostly for prevention, but the informal settlement is very different. We have cases of girls who've been introduced to prostitution as early as nine years old. Mm. We have had girls whom immediately they get they start their menses or their you know, their parents tell them you're old enough to provide for the family. Yeah. And so really uh we now don't focus on prevention alone. There's prevention, there's rescue. We have cases of girls who've been trafficked. Okay, so if for just to help you understand the yeah. kind of prostitution within the informal settlements. So there's a lot of absentee fathers. There's a lot of uh, child-headed homes. And so for this child who's heading a home, if she needs food, sometimes she's forced to prostitute to find food to be able to provide for her siblings. Oh, okay. But apart from that, assuming in, in, in eventually she gets pregnant, mm -hmm. she might need protection or shelter. And so she gets... she she gets into prostitution or she continues with prostitution just to have a roof over her head. Yeah. And so the prostitution is for survival, but also it's such a way that it's deeply ingrained into the life of the mm -hmm. community. Uh, it's largely accepted such that it's okay for a 12-year-old to prostitute. And no one sees that as exploitation. No one sees that as an injustice. Our, our outreach to the community is a different shape. There's the aspect of prevention. There's the aspect of creating awareness. There's the aspect of uh, advocacy. What are, what's calling out the government to do something and to act? We do many things. <laughs> no, that's super fascinating. Just, and I really appreciate the pictures you've kind of described, the stories to help us understand what you're dealing with here. Um, first off, the idea of just you know it being so accepted and being normalized is, is kind of terrifying. But also, that's that's the reality that you're stepping into. Mm. That that's just that's normal because that's how you survive. That's a way to make money. It's a way to get f a place to live to be mm. safe. Mm. So it's just accepted, and it's not seen like you said as injustice or exploitation. Where obviously, I think you and me would both define it as that. Mm. But because of the nor how much it's been normalized. It's just allowed. But backing up, what I found super fascinating is just it's interesting hearing your story. So in 2009, you were an intern with Nairobi Chapel. It was through Nairobi Chapel? The church plant. Yes. So Mamlaka Hill Chapel. Okay, so one of the church plants of. Mm -hmm. All right. And so when you did that, you were exposed to women in prostitution. Mm -hmm. And the first step of this was God 
giving you a heart and humanizing these women to mm-hmm. see the dignity that initially all you saw was harsh women, cruel women, but understanding where they come from, you came to a point of realizing it's like you are only in your position through grace. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great place to start. And I think a lot of us have to come to a journey like that whenever we have people that we we look down on or we think are less than us Mm -hmm. is God has to bring us to this place of truly seeing them, how he sees them. Mm -hmm. And that started you on this journey of then coming to realize, oh my goodness, there are these young girls. Is there anything I can do to prevent this from happening? And you gave the stream analogy. Mm-hmm. And then um, I did want to highlight, so your organization primarily does, well, not primarily, your organization does a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You work with prevention. Mm-hmm. You're also rescuing people in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. You're advocating with the government, mm-hmm. and you're trying to bring awareness. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. A lot. <laughs> how do you... <laughs> How do you balance that? So uh, the the approach for us, especially when it comes to the care of the the women or the young girls we reach yeah. out to, is holistic. I love that word. And there's the emotional well-being of the girl. There's the mental well-being of the girl. There's the financial or the economic empowerment. There's the social, like... Mm. How do I fit within the community? What's my responsibility within the community? Many times the girls see themselves as as though the yes, I know partly the society owes them. If we had systems in place, they wouldn't be exploited. But then again, oh. after I have found help, do I see myself as having an answer or mm having a contribution to make within the society. So we hope that by the time the girls come through our program, they see themselves as people having solutions to some of the needs within the community. And so for economic empowerment, we do vocational skills training, equipping with the girls to be able to have or to own means of earning an income. And so they don't have to depend on the men. So it looks like a big thing, but as, as we work within the society, and we are rescuing these girls from the society and some get integrating back into the society. Yes, yes. And so we have no option but to create awareness since this is a society that will receive this girl back mm-hmm. or has continues to create or continue to expose the girls to exploitation, then how can we work within the society to, to stop that? Yes, it, it doesn't look like a, a really big chunk of what we do, but it's just in the simple conversations. Mm-hmm. As I walk with, the, as I work with a community volunteer, as I talk to the girl's mother, or as I go to the schools where these children are, then be able to just have the conversations, and the conversations then snowball or something. Yes, it changes over time. Yes, it changes over time and it grows. And yeah. No, I think that's, I really love the fact that you're looking at this very holistically because I think a lot of times, um, myself included, uh, I think people have this innate reaction that when we see a problem, there's a simple solution. There's one thing I change. I fix this family dynamic or I approach it that this one system in the government needs to change, or if only these people would learn to think of themselves better and have responsibility. But each of those individually doesn't change anything. Because you maybe change that one part, 
but then everything else is still functioning, that this problem is not going to change. You mm-hmm. have to approach them that all of these parts need to work together so we can see an actual shift in society. And I really, that's very encouraging to hear how you're approaching that. Thank you. And one of the questions which I throw as a spanner into the works for us Christians, as we work especially in the areas of social injustices and in areas of transformation, the question we mostly ask ourselves, is it salvation versus restoration? Mm. When we share the gospel with these girls, we hope that we'll come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Yes. But also the reality is, if they give their lives to Christ, it doesn't mean transformation is overnight. It doesn't mean their poverty questions are answered. It does mm-hmm. not mean their trauma, traumatic or, you know, situations change. Yes. And so how do we have a focus, even as we reach out to these girls, that... Yes, our desire is for them to come to the saving knowledge of of Jesus and, you know, get into having eternal life, eternal relationship with God. But then again, the slow process of transformation. And sometimes, mm-hmm. in some cases, you find the girl is totally, you know, she quit her addiction, she set up a business and it's running but she does not have a relationship with Christ. And so how do we evaluate success? How do we learn to celebrate what God is doing within our midst? But still uh, pray that they will receive Jesus and they will be transformed. Well, it's super interesting you bring that up because this has been something that's been bouncing around in my head and in my role, which I'm in charge of uh, a part of Elmbrook called James Place, which is kind of our... Uh, local, our non-profit branch of the church community mm. resource mm. and how do we evaluate success? It's a very difficult thing when you're dealing with poverty or social issues because it's so complex. Yes. When you're talking about a holistic change or you can call it development work too, mm. there's obviously in the very far end you can say, well, this was a success because society changed for the better. We see this happening, but it's difficult Mm-hmm. Uh, to measure it while you're in it. And also when you bring the spiritual element, like we follow Jesus, we love Jesus, we want people to know the one true God. Mm-hmm. That's obviously part of what we do, but it's not all of what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that's that's okay because when you look at even um, in, I think it's in Acts, when Paul is being sent out and they're like, well, we also don't want you to forget about the poor. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, that's the last thing I want to do is forget about the poor. And there's many other verses in scripture I could point to why we should care about both, not just mm-hmm. the spiritual well-being, but also the physical. But it's um, it, it can be challenging sometimes to mm-hmm. define success. And that's, I mean, one of the challenges that you face, obviously, as mm-hmm. your role as the director. Mm-hmm. But we have to still call out successes and point to them, mm-hmm. even if sometimes it's hard to specifically quantify it. And one of the things that keeps us grounded is we are not the ones that save. Yes. It is Jesus who saves. And so my role is just to be faithful steward of God's word and faithful steward of his love. And as I serve, as I love on the girls, as I share the gospel, Mm -hmm. that they will, that God will transform them. Because yes. I think the challenge for us sometimes is we want to see all the girls get saved, 
but it's only God who saves and he makes yes. everything beautiful in his time. And so I get frustrated when they do not, you know, every time yeah. I say anyone wants to give their life to Christ, anyone wants to say the sinner's prayer, if no one raises their hands, then I feel I have failed. But it's not my role to save. Mm. But I need to be a faithful steward, a good steward. And so when all is said and done, the question to ask myself is, have I, have I been faithful in yes. shepherding them? Have I been faithful in sharing God's word, in showing his love? Yeah, it's the same idea that a pastor who has a church of 10,000 and then a pastor that has a church of 50 mm. can both be equally faithful in what God True. has called them to, even mm. if they're looking at very different uh, outcomes tangibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like our job is literally just to be, to trust and obey yeah. and to move forward in that. And then like you said, I can't save anyone. I can't mm. force anyone into the kingdom, no matter how hard I, or how badly I want to. Mm-hmm. God has to do that. Yes. I think that's a really healthy demeanor to have. And so one of the things I also wanted to ask you is, do you have any specific encouragements or challenges for us as a church here at Elmbrook? You, you've kind of, you've been in relationship with Elmbrook Church for many years now mm-hmm. um, and watched us as we've had successes and failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything you would like to say to us? I think what comes to mind I think it's just loving God loving his people when you think about uh, church relations when you think about uh, relationships out of church whether it's in missions I think love is very important and no matter what challenges we experience whether in leadership whether mm. in in our day to day running I think the question to ask ourselves is, have I loved God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all my soul, and have I loved my neighbor? Because sometimes we focus on ticking boxes. Sure, yep. Mm -hmm. If there's no love, I think it's vain. I am reminded of, is is it 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Yes where Paul says, if I speak in the language of angels, if I give myself up without love, it's vain. And when we think about injustices within our community, yes. when we think about anything, like I think any th- the, the core, what separates us from any religion, I think should be love. Love for one another and mm-hmm. love for God. And even the love that God has for us. When we think about our lives, when we think about our day to day, when you think about, you know, when all has been said and done, have I loved? Have I loved God? Have I loved my neighbor? Yeah. And that's the same. I think of the rebuke uh, in Revelations where it's like, you have remained faithful to what you were taught. Like you've kept good doctrine, you have good theology, but you've forgotten your first love. Mm. You've forgotten to love me. Mm. And so it's this thing. I feel like we have this ability and it can be in churches. Mm. It can be in nonprofits or NGOs Mm. where we are doing these things to love people. And we get so good at how we do it that we sometimes forget to really love Mm -hmm. that that love comes from Jesus. And that's can be a, it's a very easy thing to slip into, especially if you're very good at what you do. True. (laughs) And actually I'm reminded, I think when Jesus says, how will they know? that you're my disciples if you do not love one another. Mm-hmm. So love is the only thing that sets us apart. And the, the, the reality is 
the people, I think God has created us with this. We know what true love is mm-hmm. in our hearts of hearts. And when someone loves you and it's not genuine, you'll be able to tell. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I pray that we'll genuinely love that the love of Christ will star, Elmbrook will star everyone else to, I don't know, to whatever he's taking us, <laughs> taking you. <laughs> Marcy, thank you so much for taking a little time to just sit down and talk to me and help us just to understand. I understand this is only a tiny glimpse into the mm-hmm. world you are in, mm. but I'm encouraged to hear the work that you are doing. And it's something that I, I hope many people will listen to this and can learn more about what you're doing. And it's something that we we want to be praying for you. And so it's exciting Thank to you. know more about what you do. And can you say the name of your organization again one more time? Ubani Trust. And I will link... Um, uh, the link to your website or mm-hmm. Facebook page, whatever, in the description as well. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And this has been great conversation. Thank you. So I don't want to move past the fact of how privileged I am in my position and uh, being able to host this podcast that I'm entering a point now where I'm getting to interview these international leaders of various organizations from around the world. And we had Kristen who spoke with Asias previously and then um, I got to talk to Marcy uh, today. And it's just so exciting to me that this podcast is hitting a point where we are able to hear more of their voices. And that's something I'm wanting to continue. Um, we're, of course, going to be hearing from past leaders of Elmbrook Church, from field workers. But I also want to continue to dive into these international leaders and hear their perspectives and how they can speak to Elmbrook Church and we can learn from them. And uh, for me, it was great to meet Marcy. Um, She has such great expertise. And the one thing that really stuck out to me from that interview was just her description of prevention, of that we were rescuing people as they were hitting the end of the stream, but we realized that we can move farther upstream to where the girls are being chucked in and save them before, not save, that's the wrong word, we can prevent them from being thrown into the river in the first place. And I think that's something we should think about in all the mission work that we do um, when it comes to providing relief or justice or whatever it might be. Are there ways that we can think more creatively to be proactive rather than reactive? And I obviously have many thoughts in this, but that's something I want to encourage you to think about as well. Just think critically about how we are engaging situations. That are we just reacting to an ongoing problem and let it continue forever? Or are there things we can change that would prevent this suffering and this pain from happening in the first place. And I just really, really appreciated um, her story and also her heart um, for these women and for these girls. So thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of What in the World.